Oh my god! It is taken. I have re-recorded this intro five billion times. And not because of my shitty playing. Um, so that's me. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's like I just left, but no. Um so yeah, I, I had a whole long, I think I probably blathered on for like 20 minutes and then I realized that there wasn't a whole lot of cohesive t- discussion going on. I'm trying something different today where I'm basically playing piano while I'm talking. So yeah, I actually used to be a cabaret pianist. So back in the day, back in the day when I was starting out in the wilds of San Diego, I used to make a little bit of pocket change rolling around playing piano for different singers, show tunes, super, super gay cabaret joints, um, lots of cocaine, a lot of cocaine. And I remember there was this one, I can't remember her name for some reason, but there was this singer I used to play with and she was like 75 years old. And because she had a drinking problem, um, they wouldn't let her drink when she was performing because she would just get fucking tanked. And so what she would do is she'd go to 7-Eleven to get a big thing of coffee and then she'd have a flask of whiskey that she would just, I mean, very generously pour herself. I also remember when we would take breaks in between sets, we would smoke her like misty menthol 120 cigarettes and she would just tell me the craziest stories about like in the 50s being like a doo-wop singer and and how she used to have a record deal, but then she got pregnant and she didn't have an abortion, which lost her deal. Oh, it was crazy. She was She was so much fun. So much fun. I... Don't know what happened to her. I haven't been to San Diego in a while, but so uh, anyway, that's what this is kind of bringing back. Yeah, so <laughs> so I, I feel like this is kind of a fun tool, even though I don't know how this is going to come out. I keep rehearing it after all these takes I've taken of the intro. But I'm kind of, you know me, I get a little lazy. I'm like, fuck it. But yeah, so today's episode, I guess we should get into that. (laughs) So as the title will suggest, um, digging yourself out of the creative hole. Um, So I feel like I kind of got to this point with a couple of, or the main projects I was working on where there wasn't a whole lot left for me to do. Um, And I'm going to get into that in a little bit because I don't think we've talked since I've gone to a new recording studio to start tracking out and working on my next album. So I think it's this is a great opportunity. (laughs) Great. Marvelous opportunity for me to kind of describe that process. Um, So I feel like I'll start with where I'm at on the album and why it's created this creative black hole that I'm just kind of like stuck. The main, the main name of the game is hurry up and wait. Um, I'll pivot into some of the other weird side things I've been toying with that I'm now waiting for feedback on. So that's also hurry up and wait. Um, and then 
talk about kind of a really healthy professional discussion I had with my boyfriend, kind of talking about what are my my professional aspirations versus realistic professional aspirations versus financial aspirations. It was a very, very fruitful conversation. I, of course, cried like a baby while I was having it, but I think it definitely opened the floodgates. And so so that's something I kind of wanted to break out because I feel like a lot of us artists run into this where we get tunnel vision and we're like, I'm in a band, the band's going to be famous, right? Or I'm in a band and I'm going to do enough gigs to make a living, right? Or if you're a composer, I'm just going to write my own music and then people are going to notice and appreciate me, you know, or you're a producer and you're like, I'm a producer and I'm going to get to the point where Sia wants me to produce her and I'm going to be, you know, we always go into that. But I think when you start to approach your thirties, you have a more realistic view of it and you kind of treat your craft more as a trade, which I think is healthy, but you know, it, it leaves some really hard hitting questions that you have to kind of answer so I got that and then <laughs> digging myself out of kind of the hole of where, where I'm at and what I've kind of decided to do and and that that's the more the light at the end of the tunnel because you know you always got to end on a high note baby but first let's talk about the album so <laughs> yeah you love those little break points I just realized I had another half of a sandwich for lunch that I can eat for lunch, so I'm very excited about that. So, you already know the whole story about the album writing. So, just to recap, though, for those of you that are unfamiliar or new to this amazing podcast ads, thousands of people listening because everyone wants to hear what I have to say. So anyway, so the whole point of the album was 2007, 2008, I wrote this album called Minotre Moutier. It was a really, really simple eight track album, eight song, not eight track. <laughs> it was an eight track album, recorded it with bells, piano, um, accordion, violoncello and it was kind of the lifeblood uh i still make money off of it through publishing rights so it's it's one of those albums that just kind of hits this sweet spot for a lot of different commercials and film and tv opportunities where they're just constantly getting the rights to to specific songs and, and putting them in i'm not making a massive amount these days these days i think it's like i mean maybe like 50 bucks a month but 50 bucks a month after an album you wrote 10 years ago ain't bad, especially since it was never released. It's not even on Spotify or iTunes. Like it's just one of those things where I did it at a time before music streaming was taking real control and I kind of self-published it. And then I just sent it to this mom and pop music publishing company called Audio Socket. Don't really recommend them. They, I've, I've, 
it's been a mixed relationship with him. But anyway, so did that, right? So 10 years later, I've gone through these crazy experiences. You know, men have come and gone. I've I've beaten addiction. <laughs> you never beat it, but you know, I stopped drinking. Um, I moved. I found this amazingly supportive partner. Um, you know, I, I finally kind of got over myself in this whole, like, I have to be a serious punk rock musician and instead kind of navigated to what was really resonating. All these great things happened. So the point was I was going to just simply rewrite Minotra Motier, turn it into the album I always wanted it to be. But along that way, because I can't fucking do anything simple to save my life, an eight-track album, eight album became a 13-track album. An album that was going to be exclusively for string quartet now is incorporating me playing piano and having keyboard effects. And then became me wanting to incorporate percussion elements. And then me wanting to incorporate bells again. It just, I think in my head, the album kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'd written like 75% of it. I pretty much wrote out all of the string parts already. And so I just stopped. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I, I need to figure out a more manageable solution to this because I'm going crazy. I think Kaylee, my music supervisor, was just kind of sitting on the sidelines at this point going, I have no fucking idea what's happening. So I decided that I wanted to start working with a studio on the album in a long-term capacity. So usually what happens when you work on an album because of budget, what you do is you do as much in the box, right? If you're a band, you're in your rehearsal room and you get all 12, 13, however many tracks, you get them polished in the rehearsal room first. You know how everyone's going to do it. If you're a composer, you're writing in the box. You got your string plugins and all your stuff and you're basically trying to make it sound exactly how you would want it so you can write it all out, you know? And that's, you know, that's, the, the standard practice you do it in the box then you go into a studio for like a couple of days and you just hash it all out you know if you're a band usually it's like a week um if you're doing like we did like book of Farius, you do it in two days like you just cram it you already did all the creative work now it's just a matter of getting it printed with this album i wanted to do a different approach where I involved a recording studio and audio engineer <clears throat> much earlier in the process. So instead of cramming it into a one-week session, spreading it out over like up to a year with like two or three sessions a month, maybe one session a month, and slowly kind of hacking away together. Um, but because a lot the lion's share of the album had already been written, it wasn't like I was reinventing the wheel. It was just... I might have something come up in the studio that inspires me to rewrite something else. Well, because I haven't just gangbustered out the album, I still have the flexibility to kind of change and alter the album. So the first thing we decided was that the album was going to be called My Other Half, which is the English translation of the original album, Monotre Motier. So I was like, okay, we got that figured out. That's awesome. Um, and so... I found, because I'm lazy, a really top-shelf studio called Platinum Platinum Sound Recording Studio. They're, they're about like five or six blocks away from me. I live off of Times Square. Um, they have this amazing baby grand piano, this amazing vintage Rhodes, and they have this 
awesome female audio engineer called Crystal Yurez or Jirez. I don't know the pronunciation, but she's amazing. Love her. Um, they also, they're the ones that did like all the tracking instruments for like Beyonce on her Lemonade album. Like they're mainly usually more hip hop, pop focused. So, but of course me with my little bag of tricks, who could resist this sad puppy? <laughs> so anyway, um, I've been kind of working with them. So I've had one session with them where we basically took one of the tracks that was just piano keyboards um, and we tracked it just tracked out the actual piano and the keyboard, which was painful because I hate playing for people, but we got through it. And then I'm going back next week and we're having what we're calling a pedal day where I'm coming in with all my custom pedals and we're just gonna start layering and building out the effects. Um, and again, the idea is that we're doing this in chunks slowly so that we can develop the album in a more organic way. We've already got all 13 tracks. Like we know the basics of how they'll all look. It's just, we're just slowly mapping it out instead of trying to do it in such a hurried fashion. I think the string quartet, because the string quartet's expensive as all fucking hell, um, we'll still, I mean, for what I'm paying, it's actually pretty cheap, but it's still, it's a huge price tag. So I think what we'll do is we'll do everything we can without strings, maybe have Kaylee come in with her cello for a couple of spots, and then we'll actually have like a full day or two day where we track the string quartet. But it's been a really fun process. Um, but I think that's where I kind of dug myself into a hole because now we're playing the, as I was saying earlier, we're playing the hurry up and wait game. I'm having this situation where I don't want to work on the album on my own right now because I already know next week or this weekend I'm going in. No, it is next week. Next week. Next, the weekend after this coming weekend. Going in and we're having pedal day. So I already know I'm going to be doing all this work with her. I don't want to start futzing around and changing things only to go back in and then we have to redo a bunch of stuff. I think it's much more fruitful and the whole reason I did this was that I would have an extra ear. I'd have an extra, you know, real studio kind of doing this so that as we're kind of mapping and evolving this, we're doing it together point is to do it together if i'm doing it on my own then there's no point in involving a studio anyway so but because of that and because of how fidgety i am i'm like with my hands you know i'm like oh my god what are we doing Sorry about that. That's what happens when you get me in a piano. Do, 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 do. So that's where we're at. But again, I have to wait a full two weeks before I do anything else with the album. I think after pedal day, I'll have enough where I actually can kind of get a little bit more done before the next session. But yeah, so that kind of created a bit of a rift on me. Um, so then I was like, well, I need to do something else. So... Then I had Kaylee, amazing cellist and my music supervisor, she came in. And so we basically kind of talked about her album. And so I was like, oh, well, why don't you come in and we'll worry about your one of your songs. So we took a song that we had worked on previously 
on kind of a defunct collaboration that we were doing. And we started kind of mapping that out. And we spent a full like eight hour day back and forth. It was a lot of fun. Towards the end of the day, I was getting a little salty. <laughs> I was getting a little tired. Um, but then I took that and I spent all this time and I tracked everything together. It got all pretty. And there were still some spots that she wanted to relook at and re-record. So I threw it together, sent it to her. So, but she's also super busy. She's gigging for a living. I'm not her only client. So, so I kind of like was waiting on her. I was like, all right, well, I did that, but, but now I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could pat myself on the back for working so quick, but shit. Um, so, so that, that kind of leads up. I was toying with the notion of sharing what I'd recorded in the studio with Crystal but because we haven't processed any of it, it's all just very raw sounding. Um, I wanted to wait until after pedal day just so I could have more context. Because um, a lot of the tracks and things in the song wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense except to Crystal and I because of the way that we were mapping it out and because we were already knowing. Like there's a couple of things on the piano where I'm gonna do like a reverse. So I'm gonna like take a specific chord and then have the reverse, like basically it play it backwards to forwards on top of forwards to the end and just do some really cool effects and things. But none of that's being is in the track I have. So so I'm not going to share that. So I'm sure you're killing this podcast now. You're like, well, fuck this. I don't care no more. But know that the next episode, I'll probably wait and I'll do, and I'll have all of that. And I can kind of do a little bit more show of tell. But again, that's where the depression was kicking in because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was also really, really nervous about starting a new project while I'm in the middle of working on a full album. Like it was a little, cause I, I feel like I have a tendency to be like a fat kid eating a ding dong. I get excited about the ding dong and I'm eating the ding dong, but then all of a sudden someone's got like a Twinkie. Well, I'm just gonna throw the ding dong on the ground. I'm gonna run for the Twinkie cause everyone knows Twinkies are better than ding dongs. But so it was kind of that mindset. Like I know that about myself. So I got really nervous. And that actually is what brings us to talking about having this discussion with my boyfriend and figuring out a possibility for an album. But before I get into that, I've been getting a lot of questions from people in the outside universe about why I'm working with an all-female team. And so I kind of wanted to like just clarify that for all two of you that are listening to this. <laughs> so... If you couldn't tell or hear me saying it in previous episodes, I am a homosexual. I am gay. Like, I'm, like, super gay. Um, I think after, like, 20 years of being in your more standard kind of rock punk studios, it's always very male-driven. It's always very testosterone-fueled. So while <laughs> I have to choose my words carefully, but... While I, I do want to be part of the solution, not the problem, I think that we need to have more equity and more representation in the creative arts. It makes sense. Like, if it's all men that are writing, producing, and engineering the songs, that's not very equitable. You're, you're missing out on a whole, a whole concept. I think people don't realize that Audio engineering in and of itself is a craft, and there is a creative element to it. 
Um, and so while I will definitely say, hey, I came about this because I wanted to work with more women and also because I felt like, you know, me being a white man, I'm already part of the problem. So only working with women exclusively would help with that problem. But more importantly, it's more of an emotional aspect. As I said, I think after 20 years in a testosterone-fueled environment and dealing with very aggressive personalities, especially when I first was working with the all-female string quartet, it was just very refreshing. Like, not only did it add an air of kind of, an air of ease and nurturing to the environment, but at the same time, I also felt like it was producing a different sound in its entirety. And I really wanted to push that further. Um, I feel like when the minute you get me in the room with a straight male, <laughs> I immediately feel like I have to impress them. And, and so my tone and even how I direct in producing tends to be a little bit more heavy and a little bit more like, Argh! where when I was working with Crystal and we were, we were tracking my piano and Rhodes keyboard parts, we were really taking our time. And we were really trying to capture the silence and and like, you know, a Rhodes keyboard, you know, it's like 40 years old. It's got these kind of weird sounds that it just generates crackles and things. And we were really focusing on that and really incorporating that. And I think that is overall why the album, My Other Half, especially with the direction I'm taking in my life, I've decided to go completely 100% female Um partly as an experiment to see what type of sound that is, partly because I want to be a part of the solution, and also because it just makes me feel a little bit more at ease and more comfortable. This isn't me saying I hate men. Um, I still absolutely adore Mark Goodell and Seaside Lounge in Brooklyn, and I'm still going to be working with them because that's what I'm leading into in the next part of this very long-winded podcast. But... I just wanted to throw that out because there was like some back and forth and like it wasn't like anyone was saying anything disparaging. No one was being of a disparaging nature. It was just something that came up. So I was like, well, I like to just get in front of a mic and be like, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you may have forgotten I have the piano here. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm so, I'm, I'm fucking nuts. Okay, so that's that. I'll kind of leave it at that. So now we will get into part two of the podcast where I talk about the magic and splendor of having a real honest conversation with my boyfriend about my professional life goals and aspirations. Yay! Yeah, I don't even know what that was, but I'm giving up on this. I'll, I'll be back. Just a second. <laughs> and I just heard that, and I was like, oh my god, what am I doing? <clears throat> so, new project, new talk, new things, getting myself out of the hole. Sorry, I had an extended break, and now my brain's a little fuzzy. So, 
So no, I I had this conversation with my boyfriend where we were just I was kind of in this like lurch where I was like, you know, <laughs> the way I'm looking at my trajectory, I'm just going to keep putting stuff on Spotify, but I don't think it's really going to do anything. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like, you know, I might do shows, but I don't want to like go on the road and be out for like eight months out of the year trying to promote myself. And, you know, it's like you've got the Philip Glass lifestyle where Philip Glass was not a full time composer until he was well into his 50s and was like a cab driver into his 40s. And I was like, well, I I don't know if that's going to work. Um no knocking that at all. Like that that's a level of dedication and perseverance to your own individual craft that I don't know. I think I'm a little bit more easy peasy about it. <laughs> so so I kind of went, well, I don't think that's the right route. So I don't want to do it that way. That, that doesn't seem cool. <laughs> I'm now realizing what a tool I sound like. Um but yeah, so so Aaron and I, my partner, we're just kind of talking about it. And I was like, well, I think maybe the right route to go would be like film scores. Because at least with film scores, I would have the ability to just still do my trade, but do it in a more large scale format. And so we were talking about it and I was like, and he's like, well, why haven't you? And I was like, well, I used to. Um, which is, again, we always come full circle with things. When I first wrote the Minotra Motier album 10 years ago, I was doing film scores. I was doing a ton of indie film work and commercial work. Um, but <clears throat> I kind of dropped out of it because of the amount of work that's involved. Because if you're starting out in film scores, you need to find a film to score. And usually... If it's a good director, they've already thought about the music. So they've already found a composer to do it. So what you do, because I'm scrappy, is I would go on Craigslist and I would look for every posting where they were looking for someone that was going to look for grips, right? Like grips or cameraman or anything of that nature that told me that they were starting the production, And those people were the ones that I would reach out to. And I would ask them, I'd be like, hey, have you thought about music for your film or your short film or your pilot project? And if not, here's my demo reel. I'd love for you to take a listen. Let me know. And I would, I'm not shitting you, I'd probably send like 50 emails a day for a solid two months. And from that, I got like maybe like 15 people that would message me back and be like, oh, you're right. I haven't thought about music yet. I don't know. Well, at the time, this is before the digital revolution took hold. So it still was going to cost money to do stuff. So then I would be like, all right, well, it's still going to cost you. And the minute you start talking about cost, they immediately back off. So then 15 becomes like, seven right so you got seven people that are working on projects and then of those seven that kind of agree on a small budget to do stuff you start doing stuff for free for them and then all of a sudden their financing falls out or what all kinds of stuff happen right so so out of like a thousand emails you'd end up getting one project that you would actually get to score and then you'd score it do all the work but 
even then <laughs> you run into these crazy pitfalls because they can't get distribution. The film usually just to be completely frank, it's just because the film sucked. Like I remember going to one or two premieres for projects I worked on where like it was just really, really bad. <laughs> so I would just like slink out and skip the rest of the the film. <laughs> um <clears throat> I think after doing, and this was all based in San Diego, um, and again, this is before we had broadband internet, so you couldn't just work from anywhere. So, so it was a lot of LA stuff, and it just always fell through, and and that didn't work out. And I think after trying that pretty solid for like a year, year and a half, I just kind of gave up on it. Um, you know, I started doing punk rock producing. I started doing scores for other projects like commercial work. So I didn't really need it. And I didn't really think about it. And it was always a sore subject. I was always like, well, maybe at some point a film director will have heard what I've been working on and they'll reach out to me and that's how I'll get it done. Fast forward 10 years later, that clearly has not happened. (laughs) And I think part of it is that I have a style that's so bare. Like, Like my sound tends to be pretty full. But the instrumentation I work with is usually very uh, sparse. Like I like chamber music, so so I like writing for individual string instruments. I don't like writing for a fifty-piece orchestra. I've dabbled in it and worked on it in the past, but it's just not something I'm comfortable with. It's not really like I usually have a very insular way of looking at things. Like when when I write pieces of music. I want to hear the individual parts. I want to hear the individual string player that's playing that specific line. You got five of them playing the same line. It just, to me, sounds like an individual with a ton of reverb on it. Um, That's not knocking it. I I love symphonic composition. It's just not my wheelhouse. That's the backstory. And that's what I was telling my boyfriend about. Because my partner... You know, he's a scientist. He looks at life a little bit more objectively. He's trying to figure out why clearly film scores would be the right route to go, but why am I so hesitant? And so I was telling me stories, and he was like, well, that's valid. That's a valid point. Um, But as I'm talking to him, I'm realizing that even though it's a valid point, it's kind of retarded. Or, sorry, (laughs) that is a bad word to use. Um, It just, it seemed a bit reductive. And I was like, well, I'll give it a go. So that's that conversation kind of stimulated me to start finding directors, reaching out to directors, <clears throat> going through the trade papers, seeing who's already working on a project, reaching out to them. Um, this all has just started within the past week. So I, I have nothing to report. <laughs> I sent a lot of emails out. And I've done a lot of like some of the groundwork, but but just know, like, especially if you yourself are looking into film scores, when you're pitching yourself and trying to look for those projects, that stuff takes a long time. Like I go into it every day kind of looking up, seeing what's going on, reaching out to people, but I know that I'm not gonna get a response for, for at least another three months. Um, that's usually how you look at it. And I think it's because if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of word of mouth about what you're doing, 
the people that you're reaching out to are going to be people that probably haven't thought about it yet. And if you're a director and you haven't thought about a film score, but you're already getting ready to shoot a film, you're probably a little wet behind the ears. So it's going to be a bit of a gnarly situation. But I think now that I'm 36, I've got all kinds of worldly experience, and I have my own in-the-box setup to get stuff done, I feel like at least I won't be the weakest link. And, and then some, and that I can kind of, from a marketing term, I'm value added, right? So even if you may not have the budget, I don't need a budget yet. I can do a lot of this stuff in the box so you can hear it. And then we can have the conversation of, okay, we've done this in the box, but if you really want it to sound a certain way, I need two grand. So, so that, that, although definitely helped dig me out of the hole a little bit, at least got my head kind of above, above the, uh, the ground level, um, I still wasn't really working on anything because then it, it's just like, I felt like I was just being a marketer, right? Just marketing, sending out emails, letting people know I exist, um, <clears throat> you know, and that ties into, you know, the My Other Half album I'm working on right now. It's going to be another week until I start working with Crystal to start soundscaping stuff. And because I don't have a soundscape developed yet, I don't really want to futz around too much with what I've already written because that stuff's going to change. You know, Kaylee, with her project, it's her album. I am a slave to the master of Kaylee. So if she hasn't gotten back to me on what I've done, there's not a whole hell of a lot I can do. It's her album. It needs to be her vision. And so, so part of the conversation about film scores, I was telling her, I was like, well, kind of thinking about starting to develop a new project. And of course, <laughs> my partner, ever loving and doting, was very nervous about that because I have a tendency to overshoot myself and work on too many different things. So then he was like, well, I don't know if that's the right way to go. So anyway, so I started kind of toying around, kicking through. Usually when I get to a point where I start thinking about something new, um, I actually go through the old the old box of goodies. Because, um, you know, I'm not one to <laughs> have no ideas. So I started going through and I started looking at all of the projects projects I've talked on this podcast about, projects I started but left off or killed or, you know, I started going through all of it. But instead of just picking one, I was trying to figure out why did I end these projects? And I kind of was like, well, maybe if I figure out why I end them, it'll help inform me on everything that's kind of going on. Maybe there's a common theme. Maybe there's a reason I keep starting all this stuff, not completing it, and then I feel overwhelmed, and then I get depressed, and then I just, you know, I die out. And so I was kind of like, so I was like, oh, well, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to figure this out? So I started going through everything. kind of realized usually what happens for me is that I always have these long-form narratives in my head. But 
I write them out in like an outline sort of way. And then I start to fill in the pieces parts of that outline with different music and stuff like that. But there's always this weird point where either the narrative doesn't fit what I'm writing musically or it requires singing. <laughs> always with the singing. It's like I can never avoid the use of a singer. And because when you're doing a narrative thing, you know, instrumental music only gets you so far. Visual cues only get you so far. Eventually, every one of my projects would always involve some way of telling the narrative that required something I couldn't do, whether it was like real animation or real shooting or finding a singer. There were always these kind of like myriad of issues. And I'm warning you right now, this is all kind of like freeform jazz coming out of my mouth. I haven't really fully formed out how I was going to explain all of this. But so that was one kind of component. So I realized everything was always kind of dying off because the foundation itself only got me so far. But the foundation that I was starting wasn't, wasn't formed well enough. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and the next component was always inevitably the resources or how I wanted to produce it um, required other people. And as you know, when something that you're working on requires other people, it's only as strong as what you've already put into it. So a lot of times I would work on stuff that involves singing, but then I'd run into this huge issue where, you know, the singer, like, singer doesn't have all the songs and they die out right they're like well I've recorded two songs you got eight songs total but you haven't written the other ones this is taking too long and then they kind of go off they're like well I I don't want to work on writing or collaborating I want to be on stage <laughs> and there's also talent issues you know degrees of talent in which to work um so I kind of coalesced that. But then I also started looking at the narratives of what I was writing. And almost everything I'm doing is always autobiographical. You know, it's the adage, write what you know. So, so, but I would always sugarcoat it and gloss over it. And I think in a previous podcast episode, I'd been developing something. I'm trying to remember what the name, oh yeah. So the book of Arius originally started as this very crazy sci-fi epic <clears throat> but what it was, was it was about me taking pieces of an, uh, my autobiography and then rewriting them so that they weren't so much about me. Um, and that, that's the foundation. And I'm still doing that with the Book of Arius. I haven't forgotten about it. I just, it's one of those projects that, you know, once a year I will revisit and look at Act 2. Because I'm sure now I'm realizing why am I not just doing Act 2, the Book of Arius. And I think the problem with that is just I'm not ready. I'm not really in a strong head space. I want to kind of get my other half that album out before I start to tackle the Book of Arius album. Or EP, since it's extended EPs or whatever. So that's kind of where I've left off. Um, but I have all this stuff that I'm kind of mining through. So with this new thing <laughs> that I've been kind of like toying around and trying to figure out and develop, I've kind of decided that instead what I want to do is just focus on the story, the narrative element. And 
I don't know if I'm fully comfortable talking about what that element is yet because it's still very half-baked in my head but so I'm always I'm always messing with time right so I'm always messing with timeline structures like like I've never looked at anything I've worked on through a linear perspective of start to finish I'm always just kind of all scatterbrained around so I was kind of like all right what if I do something autobiographical but the only thing I'm going to remove from my biography is the artist part of me. So, so, you know, I have a wealth to pull from. It's like, you know, being in the Navy, growing up in a very crazy household in Iowa, um, being homeless in San Diego, being a drug addict, being an alcoholic, <laughs> like being in an abusive relationship in San Francisco, like trudging around blackout drunk in New York City. Like, I have all these different stories. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. So I've, so I've made assurances to all parties involved that I would just focus on kind of the story, like, like taking a collage of all the different very crazy experiences I've had and just structuring them in the outline of a story. And then once I have that story finished, then reevaluating about the music side. So at this point, I don't really know if it's an album, maybe it's just a single song as a proof of concept, but but that's kind of where I'm at. And that that's why I'm that's why you hear this weird echo in my voice is because I've kind of brought out the piano and reset it up with its own independent mixer board off in a corner somewhere so that I can just kind of sit down and just start to map out. where I'm at. I'm kind of realizing that this is all fairly anticlimactic. <laughs> I was like, I am, I've got a story to tell. And then I kind of like pushed out and I'm sorry, I kind of pushed out on actually explaining what I was working on, but I kind of realized that I still haven't fully fleshed it out yet. But the takeaway and why we're doing this episode this way is more to kind of show you that sometimes to get yourself out of the creative hole, it isn't about necessarily working on something specifically. It's about the potential and the promise of working on something. So, so I haven't like set aside and been like, ah, this will be my master thesis. This will be my magnum opus. You know, I, I think you should always go into a project with the hope that that's what it will be. But I think sometimes just knowing that there are other stories and things that you can tell just gives you that extra umph to kind of hold tight you know because it's like again week and a half i'm going in the studio crystal oh but that's what i was going to explain so so what i've gone ahead and done is because i love seaside lounge in brooklyn recording studio and i love working with mark goodell um, I didn't want to like just be like, ah, fuck those guys. I'm, I'm recording at Platinum and blah, blah, blah. 
So what I thought would be fun was booking days way in advance with them to kind of give myself a deadline. So where with Crystal and Platinum, the way I'm doing the album is it's hurry up and wait. Go in, lay out what we're doing, develop the soundscapes, go back, finesse, fine tune, Jimmy Rigg, go back, keep doing it and kind of do it that way. Seaside, it's exact opposite approach. Doing everything kind of in the box and formatting my ideas and theories and things and basically going to Seaside with these ideas already kind of like laid out in kind of a way that I can just record them, but not having any expectation. So so treating it more like we're going in with like demo sessions, right? Where, where I'm going in, I've got these ideas and we'll just kind of map them out, tweak around, have some fun with it. I think also having the more testosterone masculine environment will be a good kick in the pants for me too because that way it kind of pushes me. So now I've got like deadlines and stuff laid out. So it's like, all right, well, I'm going to Seaside in June. I've already spent the money at Seaside, so I better hurry up and fucking do something. Um, And so, yeah, again, that was really anticlimactic. That was so sad. So, but yeah, so that's where I'm at. So I got myself out of the hole because I had a conversation with my boyfriend about realistically looking at my career and my profession, realizing that the money is probably going to be more profitable in film scores. So I'm going to take that approach. And I've already started reaching out to some female film directors that I've discovered and found and seeing what they think. And maybe I'll get some responses probably not for a while so I'm gonna do that (laughs) and that alleviated some of the pressure about money and the pressure about what I'm doing with my career and then beyond that coming up with some other type of idea or project that doesn't have a necessarily finite deadline or even like something that it's going to be but instead is something that I can just look forward to um you know I think for lack of better word it's like a hobby the album already has the string quartet, Kaylee, the, the recording studio, Crystal is the audio engineer. That's already got its whole fucking ecosystem. You know, and even with that ecosystem, extending it beyond and doing the act two, the book of Arius. So I've got that. And that's kind of like, that's like, the, that's the, that's like the main creative outlet. But then the in-between when I'm not doing that, you know, it's like, Film score is the thing that you want to kind of go to from a business side because you got to pay your bills, got to pay the rent, can't keep taking a bunch of bullshit <laughs> projects and gigs just to make ends meet. That's not very, that, that's not sustainable. And then, you know, now I've got this other thing. So, so that's where I'm at. I think I'm going to kill the podcast there. That's it. That, that, I, uh, 
<laughs> oh my god, this was a stinky turd of an episode. Hopefully, you guys got something out of it. Um, you know, hopefully there was something entertaining. Maybe you got a good chuckle. Um, and I'm now realizing next episode, I'm gonna structure it. I'm probably gonna have some bullet points in an outline. But not today, bitches. All right, have a good day. Take care, live long, and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>